You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, as you know, um, pastors have quotas they have to fill. One of the odd ones is how many props you use in a given year. Um, I'm behind in my quota, so tonight's a big night. We've got a few props for you, very exciting. Um, One of them, I've got to give this away right at the start because this is a little bit interactive. Um, Okay, Um, do any of you know what, what this is? Yes, it's, it's a bride. Dual. It's a bridal. That's, that's right. We're going to pretend, for the purposes of this sermon, that it's, that it's a set of reins. You know, like, whoo, rein in the horse, you know. So this is a set of, set of reins, okay? Yes, it's a bridal, but, but, but for the purposes of this sermon, it's a, it's a set of reins, okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. Um, when I pick this up various random moments throughout the sermon, you need to sit there and do nothing. You okay with that? We're all clear on that one? Okay, so I, you know, let's, let's just have a practice. There you are, sitting there doing nothing. I go and I pick up the reins and... Oh, perfect, perfect. You guys are good. All right. Now, next step. You have, so I'm, I'm just holding it and you're sitting there doing nothing, except listening. Okay. Now I do something else. All of a sudden, I hold it high. <gasps> this is your moment. This is your moment. What do you do? I know, this panic. It's okay. I'll instruct you. Whenever I hold it high, you need to, you don't need to yell, but you need to say with loud reverence, he reigns, he reigns, our God reigns. It's a set of reins, see? Okay, okay, that'll be the clue. Reins, reins, reins. This means, oh, God, reins. And then you will say, Fantastic whisper. Okay, but it's not, like, we don't encourage competitiveness between the morning service and the evening service, usually. But, uh, but, but tonight, you know what, guys? I think we need to lift up just a little bit. You can do better than that, okay? Um, okay, Stuart picks up the reins and you... Perfect. Do nothing whatsoever. But if I hold them up high, you say... He reigns. He reigns. reigns. Nice. Just there. Just there. You are, you are equal, at least, with the morning service. And, and you, you have opportunities, You will have many, many opportunities to develop that. Well done. Fantastic. Okay. Very good. It started with a star. And uh, it it was a little bit like this one, only it was in a dream. And there wasn't just one of them. There were many. There were actually 11, 11 stars, a sun and a, and a moon. Now, Joseph could be forgiven to a certain extent when he had this dream for perhaps not being as wise as he could have with how he shared it. But in his dream, 11 stars, the sun and the moon all bowed down to him while he shared this with mum, dad, and his 11 brothers. And he said, what do you think it means? You know what? They knew exactly what it meant. And this had just come on the back of another dream that he had had as well. In that dream, um, all the brothers had a, had a sheave of wheat and it all bowed down to his one, which stood tall and strong. 
Well, this was about it. You know, Joseph, he's got his pretty little robe, you know, his lovely little cloak, and, and now he's having these dreams of grandeur. And not only that, but he doesn't seem to be old enough or wise enough to understand you don't go boasting in front of your older brothers. Really, really, this is just not right. But for Joseph, I guess he tucked those things away, as did his, his dad. He, he tucked the dreams away, and he must have wondered many times, I wonder if God has something special in mind for my life. But then he'd be forgiven for having some serious doubts as well. Um, in, in fact, it was, it was on one occasion where, for the price of just, well, 20 shekels of silver, his, his brothers sold him to some nomadic traders who were passing by. They, in turn, took him down to Egypt. Uh, the highest bidder was Potiphar. Not a bad house to go to if you were going to be sold into slavery. In fact, I guess everything that he did showed that God's favor was upon him. But he never grew, you know, rose to the heights that I guess he may have anticipated he was going to rise to by virtue of those dreams. In one sense, things went well for him, and, and yes, God blessed him, and, and, and it was good. But on the other hand, every time he just seemed to excel and, and, and be getting somewhere, things went terribly wrong. For instance, Potiphar's wife took notice of him again and Again and again, and it was wrong, it was immoral, but she kept making approaches to him. Finally, he knew this was a bad situation. He fled, leaving his, his robe in her hands, and, and she made up a story about this Hebrew slave who, who came to her to make sport of her, to make little of her. She told her husband, and he, whether he believed her or not, did the only thing he could do. He threw... Joseph into jail. Poor kid must have just wondered, what is this? <laughs> Everybody throws me into a dungeon or a cistern or something. You know, just throw Joseph in. What's wrong with my life? But then it seemed, again, he found favor, opportunity, knocked at his door. The official cupbearer and the official baker were in jail with him. They'd fallen out of favor with the king. And there they were. They both had dreams. They couldn't understand them. But God gave Joseph an interpretation. It proved to be spot on. The cupbearer was, was restored to his original position and the baker was just cut out of the picture. But both were accurate to the dream that, that they had had. Well, Joseph only had one request for the cupbearer. Would you please remember me? You know, don't forget what I have done for you through God in interpreting your dream. Well, the cupbearer, he forgot. He forgot. A couple of years goes on. In fact, it's, it's been about 13 years between his first dream and this moment. And he must have been just wondering, do you know what? I've just been forgotten here. All is lost. This, this I guess, I don't know what those dreams were about. This, I guess, is, is how it ends. That's it. But one night in Egypt, the king had a dream. 
bit of a bizarre dream. In this dream, you know, um, seven skinny cows eat up seven fat cows and seven heads of wheat, little scrawny dried up ones, eat up seven big fat heads of wheat. A bizarre dream. And the the king would have probably normally dismissed it, except it kept bothering him. It kept him, kept him awake. It kept knocking away at the, the recesses of his mind. So he calls together all of his, all of his diviners, all of the, the discerning wise ones of Egypt. And he says, what does this dream mean? Well, no one. They knew not to give him a false answer or interpretation. No one could understand it. The cupbearer, serving the king, overhears this conversation. He thinks to himself, oh! I have forgotten. I do know somebody who can interpret this dream. Joseph, how, how bad of me to forget. And, and, and so he says to the king, you know, I've just been reminded of something which I should have done many years ago. I was supposed to remember the, this guy in prison and, and, and speak well of him and, and try to get him out. But I've totally forgotten about him. His name is Joseph. Anyway, thing is, Pharaoh... He can interpret dreams. He may be able to help you. Pharaoh is desperate. He wants this dream interpreted. He, he calls Joseph in and he, and he tells him the dream. And Joseph knows immediately what it means. Didn't have to think twice. He had an immediate def- interpretation of this. And, and so he says to Pharaoh, I, I, I know what this means. The seven is important. This is, this is, this is seven years of, of harvest a bumper harvest. This is seven years in which you are, you are going to be able to produce more than Egypt has ever produced before, but then will come seven years of famine like you've never seen before. The cows and the heads of wheat, one and the same. This is firmly decided in the mind of God. This is going to happen. And God is, is telling you ahead of time this, uh, that you can get ready. You need to you need to appoint someone, an administrator, somebody who can, who can help administer this and make sure that over these seven years that you are getting ready for the famine. And Pharaoh looks on him and he says, well, you're a wise and discerning young man. You know what? I can't think of anyone better than, than you to take care of this for me. And so he appoints him to a, to a royal position. In fact, he is going to rule over the entire land. Only with regards to the throne will Pharaoh be number one in the land. And so he entrusts to Joseph the governing of Egypt. It's quite incredible to, to make sure that nobody, nobody mistakes this. He even says, you know what? I want you to, I want you to ride in my chariot. It's going to going to be pulled by the finest horses. You can, you can hold, the, hold the reins here. I, I want you to wear a, a fine linen robe. Remember, he's already lost two of these things, but now he gets a third. You're going to be able to wear this fine linen robe. I'm going to have people go ahead of you and declare the authority that you have. In fact, the authority that you have, you're going to have my very ring, a signet ring, which when rolled over a seal, authorizes things to happen around this land. Joseph, you're in charge here. You have, you have the reins. Somebody is going to go ahead of you like a herald, and they are going to declare, make way, make way. Here is Joseph, who is in charge of the land. And as Joseph 
holds the reins. It, it proves that ultimately God reigns. God always delivers his people. He always comes through. And when he does, it proves that... Nice try. He He does indeed. He does indeed. It started with a star. In fact, um, in Persian, whilst her Hebrew name was Hadassah, her Persian name was Esther. And actually, a little bit like it sounds in the English, it, it means a star, only E-star. I guess it was kind of an electronic thing. But, but Esther meant a star. Mordecai, oh, this was his little cousin. Uh, she was so much younger that he was a little bit more like an uncle, actually. But, but she was a star to, to him as well, and he looked after her. Mum and Dad weren't around, and so... Cousin Mordecai, or Uncle Mordecai, he took care of her, and he did, a, he did a splendid job. Things were going well for the beautiful Esther, and beautiful she was. She gained notice from the officials of the king. They were in search of a new queen, somebody who could replace Vashti. And, and so they found Esther, oh, many others actually, and, and you know what, whether you like a harem or not, you, you do know this, you'll be taken care of for the rest of your life. So Esther was going to be taken care of for the rest of her life. But you know what? It just seemed that she found God's favor again and again and again. Everything she did, she found God's favor. In fact, one of the important eunuchs took notice of her and, and kind of singled her out for special treatment. You know, Esther, I want you to, you to have the very, very best, the best of foods, the best of treatment. By the way, a beauty treatment in those days wasn't sort of a day at the spa. It was 12 months of preparation, being drenched in oil of myrrh and so forth, at least for six of those months. And so Esther had been been chosen. She finally had her day before the king. He fell head over heels for her. She was the one. She was the one to to be queen of the land. And it all seemed to be just going beautifully as long as... She remembered what cousin, uncle, Mordecai had told her. That was this. Just don't say anything about your nationality. Don't let anyone know that you're a Jew. Should have been perfect, right? But then things started to to go wrong. Haman, an official in the land and, and somebody who had the ear of the king, he was a little bit upset. So for... Oh, 10,000 talents of silver. He told the king, I can deal with a particular problem you have. What problem do I have, says King Xerxes. The problem you have, king, is you have these Jews that don't fit. Their customs, their ways, they're not like our ways. And in particular, he was thinking of Mordecai. You know how Mordecai was always looking after Esther, he would wait at the king's gates just to listen to any little bit of information, any little bit of gossip that he could pick up about how Esther was faring. Now, Haman would go in and out of the king's gates, and every time he did, an important fellow like him, I mean, he was an up-and-coming sort of a guy, at least in the eyes of, well, his eyes, and who else's eyes mattered, right? 
So every time he went in and out of the king's gates, people bowed and scraped and so forth, except for Mordecai. Why? Because it was worship or something? No. Haman was an Amalekite. That was his ancestry. The Amalekites were the first people really to attack the Israelites when they escaped from Egypt and there'd been enmity between them for since. And so Haman had it in his head, I can deal with this once and for all. I can get rid of this Mordecai. I can get rid of all of the Jews. This will be the big moment. But for Mordecai, having shared his dilemma with his wife and confidants, he had a very special way of dealing with Mordecai. He was going to build a tower, a set of gallows, 75 feet high, 25-odd meters. That would be about, I don't know, twice the size of the kangaroo ground fire tower. This is a big set of gallows. This is the kind of thing you notice. Some people like to have a gnome in their garden, not Haman. He had gallows and he was looking forward to, not a gnome, but he was looking forward to the moment where he could look up and and just ponder Mordecai's little toes just dangling in the breeze, 70 feet above ground. Well, everything seemed to be going to plan. Mordecai himself sat at the... The gate in sackcloth and ashes. He couldn't go any further towards the palace. It wasn't allowed in his state. And he was in mourning. He was fasting and he was praying. He sent word to Esther. Esther, you've got to do something. She sent word back. I can't. If I go into the king's presence without his invitation, I'll get killed. He sent word back to her saying, Esther, could it be that for such a time as this, you have been chosen for royal position? This was going back and forth, and, and Mordecai was there fasting, and, and he was worried. He seriously wondered, could this be the end? Could this be it? Surely God will bring salvation, deliverance from somewhere, if not Esther, somewhere. But many wondered, this is how it's going to end. All is lost. Once that decree to annihilate the Jews had been written and sealed, you know, the law of the Medes and the Persians, once it had been sealed and, and, and enacted upon, it could not be revoked or changed. Where could deliverance come from? Well, one night in Persia, the king couldn't sleep. Why standard insomnia? Or was it hmm, Esther, his beautiful queen? What was she up to? Uh, she'd, she'd come into his presence pretty daring, but she was beautiful. So, so I don't know. He, he kind of said, you know, whatever you want, up to half of my kingdom. And she invites him to a banquet, invites him to another banquet, this series of banquets. What is my queen Esther up to? Was that what was keeping him awake? Anyway, the best cure for insomnia was to, to read the court records. So he summoned his servants to bring the court records in, and they start just reading you know, the activities day in and day out, and they come across this little incident about Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the, the king's gates. There was this time where he overheard a, a plot to kill the king. Well, he sent information about that to Esther, and Esther passed it on to the king, and, and the king was able to deal with it. So he asked, what did I do for Mordecai the Jew? How did I say thank you? What, what was it that we did for him? And he said, oh, there's no record. I don't think we did anything for him. Well, I need to remedy that. But suddenly his thoughts are interrupted. There's noise downstairs. It's Haman arriving early to get permission to, to hang Mordecai on his, on his specially built 
gallows. And, and so, so the king says, who's downstairs? It's Haman. Bring him upstairs. Haman comes in, and before Haman can tell the king what's on his heart, the king says to him, Haman, what would the king do for something for whom he especially wants to honor? Well, Haman thinks, well, who would the king want to honor more than me, right? And what should the king do for me? Well, I know, I know. He says, king, I think firstly, you should take a horse, not just any horse, your horse. And then you should take a robe, not just any robe, but an actual robe that you have worn. One of your best robes, your robe, your horse. And, and um, you should... Um, you should give that person authority, your signet ring. You should give them authority to, to act on your behalf. Then you should get a herald. You should get somebody who is going to go before them and make a wonderful declaration of, of just what authority they, they have. And, and, and they should parade that person on your horse, in your robe, down the street. And uh, there they've got... You know, your reins in their hand, and, and this herald, he's, he's excited about it, and he's saying, oh, look what the king does for the person that he wants to honor. That's, that's my idea. Uh, king, what do you think? King Xerxes thinks that is brilliant. Amen, you are brilliant. Go immediately. Find Mordecai the Jew and do everything that you have just told me for him. You, personally, I want you to be the herald. Right, says Haman. Right, Mordecai, the Jew, sits at the king's gate, that Mordecai. Not the other Mordecai that I don't know of and you don't know of. No, that one, that very one. Mordecai, the Jew, that sits at the gates. Go do this now. Yes, Haman exits. He can't believe it. What has happened? How did... How did things get reversed? What has happened? He finds Mordecai. He sits him on the king's horse. He gives Mordecai the reins. He puts the king's robe around him. And he spends the day leading Mordecai throughout the land, declaring, look, <laughs> look what the king does for the man. <laughs> he wishes to honor <laughs> It's an exhausting day for poor Haman. He returns home. He's only got minutes to tell his wife what happened and his confidants, and they all agree, your fate is sealed. Mordecai, he's going to rise. You're going to fall. There's a knock on the door. Haman is quickly summoned to the banquet. The banquet. He forgot the banquet. The banquet that Esther is putting on for him within... A very, very short time, he and King Xerxes are at the banquet. When the king asks Esther, all right, enough of banquets. What is it that you would like me to do for you? And Esther said, oh, king, you know, if this was simply about me and my people being sold into slavery, I wouldn't even bother you. But it's more than that. My very life has been threatened, and the destiny and lives of my people have been threatened as well. King Xerxes couldn't believe it. Who would do that? This is his queen. This is his beauty. This is his loved one, his beloved. This is the one to whom he would give half of his kingdom. Who would threaten? Who would do such a thing? 
And Esther, without hesitation, points at Haman and she said, Vile Haman would do such a thing. The king can't believe it. He's about to lose his temper, but he knows. Count to ten, count to ten. So he walks out to the garden and he's counting. Seven, eight, nine, ten. He turns around and he goes back and he sees the most incredible thing. Haman realizing he is in deep, serious doo-doo, which is a, a Persian word for something. He reaches out to Esther and he says, Esther, help me, save me. What the king sees is Haman reaching out for his bride, his queen, who's reclining on the couch in his in his royal chamber, and he says, is it not enough that you seek to take her life? You reach out to touch my bride in my chamber as well? He doesn't have to say another word. His chief eunuch knows exactly what to do, lowers a sackcloth over his head, and he's a bright spark, this particular eunuch. He says, "Eh, you worship, Uh, I know of a very nice set of gallows not far from here, About 75 feet high, not being used at the moment. Perfect, says the king, hanging from them. And Mordecai has the reins. In his hands, the ability to deliver God's people. And as Mordecai holds the reins, it proves that ultimately God reigns. He delivers his people. He always comes through. One more time, he reigns, he reigns. Our God, he reigns, absolutely. Started with a star. It was um, brought to her attention by some very, very wise men. They saw the star in the east and they followed it. This was no ordinary star, this was an important one. This star meant that Somebody, a great, great ruler, had just been born. So they brought their gifts and they they came to honor the king who had been born. It wasn't just that. Um, it was so many things. For Mary, it was the it was the dreams. It was Simeon. It was Anna. It was the prophecies. It was so many things. It was the angelic visitations. And of course, not the least of these was the fact that the little baby that was growing within her was conceived by none other than the Holy Spirit. It was miraculous. She hid these things in her heart. She always knew that that Jesus was going to be special. Oh, he was an ordinary boy in that he would run and if he tripped, he would cut and bleed like other, other boys when he wanted to be Fed as a, as a baby, he, he cried. He was like other children in almost every respect, except that he stood out in that he never sinned. He really was an amazing child in that regard. And, and so as he grew in favor with both man and God, Mary knew that there was some very high calling, anointing on his life. People would follow. He spoke the truth in a remarkable way. It was as if he was simply verbalizing the essence of who he actually was. 
He didn't always make friends wherever he went. In fact, there were many who didn't like what he would say. But she never quite anticipated the day that her heart would be pierced as if with a sword. It was for 30 pieces of silver, actually, that Judas ultimately betrayed Jesus. 30 pieces of silver would do it and... um, he would find an opportune moment to betray Jesus into the hands of the authorities. There, his disciples would be confused, they'd be scattered, they'd be bewildered, they would actually wonder many, many times, is this it? We, along with his mother Mary, we knew that something was up, we knew that he was special, we we knew that somehow this would involve persecution and, and so forth. But, but this, we didn't see this coming. Not like this. Is this, is this all there is? Is this it? Is, is this the, the end of it all? Is this how it ends? Surely not. One night in Gethsemane, the king could not sleep. Which king? The king of the Jews? Well, that's a little bit too small because he would become the king of the Gentiles. In fact, he was the king of Persia. He was the king of Egypt. He was the the king of all kingdoms. He's the king of kings. He is the king. And his kingdom, the kingdom of light, would never end. He couldn't sleep because he was... He was wrestling with what was ahead of him. Submitting himself to the will of his father, he would undergo through the following days betrayal, arrest, (laughs) trial, which was a sham, humiliation, mockery, beatings, ultimately crucifixion. He would actually give up his last breath and he would die. But then by the power of God, he would rise on the third day. He would conquer death. He would conquer sin, guilt and shame once and for all. This was what was ahead of him. Then... Those confused and scattered disciples, he would appear to them again and again and again over a period of around 40 days. And as he did, he would open up the scriptures to him, the law and the prophets, and he would explain to them how these things had to happen, how he had to be betrayed, how he had to die, but how it had been promised that he would would rise again. He He would help them to understand that he would enter uh, Jerusalem, not on a, on a horse as a warrior king, but on a donkey. He would come in peace. He would take the reins of this donkey and he would come in peace. And he would bring peace to all those who called upon his name. He would be, he would be given a robe and, and yes, it would be a scarlet robe and It was meant really to mock him. But prophetically speaking, it told of a truth 
that no human could yet understand. He would be given incredible authority, not just a a ring like a signet ring, but he would be given the signature of heaven, the name that is above all names, the only name by which anyone could be saved, the name that ultimately every knee will bow before when it is proclaimed and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. And who would, who would declare, make way, this is, what the, this is what the king does or the father does for whom he is, he is pleased. It would actually be none other than an angel. Jerusalem would be shaken as if there was an earthquake. The stone which covered the front of the tomb, it would be rolled away. An angel would come and triumphantly sit on it. And he would declare that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. He would declare it to the soldiers. Although that was pointless because they were, they were out to it like dead men. He would declare it to the disciples. He would declare it to the women who attended the burial tomb. The angel himself would declare that Jesus Christ reigns. You see, the father had anointed and appointed Jesus to be saviour of all. He was to deliver his people, thus his name, Jesus, to save his people from their sins. Because God always delivers, God always comes through. And as he put the reins in the hands of Jesus, he was proving that he, God, ultimately reigns. Because every time he delivers his people, he proves that our God reigns. He reigns. Our God reigns. Nice try. He reigns. He reigns. That's it. Our God reigns. Awesome. Started with a star. You, when you were young, just about everybody. Didn't you get taught the nursery rhyme, twinkle, twinkle, little star? You loved the way that it just rolled off your lips and you loved the wonder of it all. Maybe you had a poster in your room. Maybe you had a star on the roof. And then mom and dad told you that you were their little star. A teacher planted a star on your chest. You started to believe. Isn't the world wonderful? And then you started to grow up. And you realized, life hurts. Uh, life is painful. Life is tough. Life is, is difficult. And you could have been forgiven for feeling just a, just a little bit betrayed by life, by the world. Lots of things, really. Things that should never have been said. Aspirations that, that are out of your reach. Friendships that have gone awfully wrong. For some of us, bills that are piling up. Marriages that are a little strained. Kids that are failing to thrive. Sometimes it can be sin knocking at your door. Shame threatening to cripple you. Anger which has a hold of you. Loved ones which hurt you. World affairs which threaten to bury you. 
depression, slowly sinking you, anxiety, gripping you, hopelessness, stopping you, pride, deceiving you, hatred building up in you, cynicism hiding you, worries threaten to suffocate you. And every now and again, you might be forgiven for thinking, that's it, it doesn't get better than this. That's it. This is, this is how it ends. It will, will never get better than this. All is lost. I expected too much. Life is ultimately full of disappointment. But that is not how it ends. Like a thief in the night. He's coming. And Revelation tells us he has a white horse. I want to see that horse. It's going to be a pretty powerful kind of a horse. And he's, he's wearing a brilliant robe. An amazing, splendid robe which speaks of his royalty. And the authority that he has is not a seal like a ring, but it's a seal on a scroll. And we are told that he alone, the one who rides this white horse, he alone is able to break that seal and to, to take that scroll, which represents the decree of God for the redemption of the world, and he is able to enact God's plans for the ultimate deliverance of his people. And the herald who is going to declare that he is worthy is not just a, a mortal man or a government official. This time it's not even an angel, but it's all of the angels. It's the angelic host. It's everyone in heaven. It's the 24 elders. It's everyone who sees the splendor of what is happening here before the throne and recognizes that he alone is worthy, 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 worthy is the lamb, that he alone is worthy to open up that scroll, to break the seal and enact the promises of God. All who see that will declare that Jesus is the one, indeed, the Savior of the world. That he will deliver his people. He always does. He always comes through. And as Jesus has the reins, it proves one last time that our God reigns. He reigns, he reigns, our God reigns. Absolutely, absolutely. Jude understood this, and so he finishes his wonderful exhortation to God's people that no matter what they're facing, no matter how difficult or twisted the times might be, no matter how impossible your situation 
No matter what is happening in your life, no matter what you face now or in 10 years or in 20 years' time or in 30 or 40 or 50 years' time, no matter what life holds for you, no matter how, as they say a little fatalistically, the cards are dealt to you, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark the night is, no matter how hopeless it looks, Despite all of that, your God reigns. Wait. Be patient. Stand firm. Stand faithful. Persevere. The more you do that, the more glory God gets. Wait and believe that your God reigns. And so Jude finishes by saying, so now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only true God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion, that's rule, and power, both now and forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he reigns. He reigns. Our God reigns. Amen, says Jude. Maybe you'd like to just bow your heads. And perhaps... Immediately, something springs to mind in which you need to trust the reign of God in your life. Or perhaps you're young and nothing immediately springs to life. You haven't lived long enough to have found that road which seems to lead to nowhere. But you've been reminded tonight that it's possible someday, sometime, you just may find yourself in a place where you have to believe somebody is in control, somebody is sovereign, somebody knows your situation, somebody sees you, and somebody is there for you. Somebody reigns. And maybe you want to remind yourself and declare in your heart once more, Oh God, thank you for the reminder tonight that whatever it is, No matter how impossible it might seem, no matter how dark that night, you reign. You reign. My God reigns. I believe it. I believe you. And I hold on to this promise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, 
go to www.elthambaptist.net.